and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How can we get more foundations in this space? There don't seem to be enough. Very excited to have our guest on today. We're going to talk more about what he does. Before I introduce him, I want to make sure you know who the voices are that you're listening to today. So I'm Richard Litauer. I'm one of your main hosts. I work at Open Source Collective and, of course, at Sustain. And I'm very excited to be here today calling in from North Carolina. Weirdly, kind of cool. Thank you, Ben Acker, for lending me your microphone. Justin Dorfman is the other co-panelist I have on today, co-host. Justin, longtime sustainer, calling from L.A. How are you doing? Doing great. Really excited about this conversation. I'm really excited to have you here on the Cotton Hat Crew. We are both wearing hats. Very exciting. All right. And our guest today is Kailash Nad. Kailash is calling in from Bangalore. He is the director of Fonce United Foundation or the CTO of Zarota or both. We're going to talk about that in a second. Before we get into his introduction, though, Kailash, it's great to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Justin. And I'm doing great. Looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. Us too. Okay, so Kailash is a hobbyist software developer who released his first FOSS project in 2002. That's 20 years ago. Not to age you, Kailash. That's pretty cool. While in school, it's B-Machine, a blogging platform. He went on from there to obtain a PhD in artificial intelligence in 2010, which is actually pretty short. Over the last decade, he's been the CTO at Zorota, which is now India's largest stockbroking firm. That is a pretty big job. Zorota has a FOSS program and fund that supports FOSS projects that it uses. So in 2020, he co-founded the FOSS United Foundation, a nonprofit organization that supports the FOSS ecosystem in India. So not only does he run the FOSS program at Zerota, also has co-founded the FOSS United Foundation. Very cool. He writes software, works in his hobby projects on a daily basis, and he has a concerning level of addiction to tinkering and getting involved in new projects. Don't we all? Kailash, that is quite the auspicious and awesome career. I guess, first off, why don't you tell me about the FOSS program at Zerota and how long you've been a CTO there and what that's like for you? Yeah, I've been heading technology at Zerola for the last 10 years. And we Zerola existed before I met Nitin, Zerola's co-founder. And Zerola was founded in 2010. But it wasn't really... Zerola wasn't a technology company. It was a stock brokerage. So when we met, the plan was to slowly turn Zerola into a financial technology company, build investment platforms, products, services for end users, quality products. So that's how it started in 2013. I've always been a FOSS hobbyist all my life. So we started by picking up pieces, bits and pieces to stitch together. Python, Postgres, Redis, bit of PHP here and there. That's really how we started building a financial tech firm. And it was all digitization from the inside out first, writing little Python scripts to make tedious jobs fast. There were lots of finance folks, there were customer support, stuff like that. But there was no technology. We started out really small writing scripts to digitize the business inside out. Spent probably two years just doing that. And once we figured that we had like a semi-digital business, which was decently efficient, that's when we really started working on the end user products, investment platforms, apps for our end users. So the growth has been organic and we're quite zealous about self-hosting force, very paranoid about external dependencies. So we built a entire tech stack in-house. We have no external vendors and we've picked FOSS for pretty much everything. 
I always like saying this, we have close to zero SaaS subscriptions as even as a really large enterprise, you pick anything, the financial dashboards, HR stuff, payroll stuff, employee internet systems, messaging systems that we try to self-host as much as possible, including, of course, all our customer data and apps. So FOSS and FOSS really is why Zeroda exists today in the form it does. We've scaled from 5,000 users in 2013 to 11 million users today. And we've grown to be the largest, one of the largest financial technology companies in India, all on the back of FOSS. So as I said, I've always been a hobby. So my perspective of building tech, be it in finance or be it wherever, is very FOSS-centric. It's very hacker-like. So it was only natural to start supporting FOSS when Zeroda started becoming a successful company. When we started generating profits with the tech stack that we built with FOSS, it was only common sense and logical that we contributed back. So that's how the FOSS program started. It wasn't, it was just natural. It was very organic for us. And we started funding all the key FOSS projects that we'd used to build the stack, all the really critical ones. I mean, we've even donated to Curl and all sorts of tools and technologies that we derive value from. And in 2020, I, Rushab and I, we're friends, he runs ERP Next. I think it's probably the largest open source product company out of India. It's an open source ERP system, amazing project. So he'd been meaning to build an organization to support the FOSS ecosystem in India. So we started the FOSS United Foundation in 2020. And it was, again, a logical extension to Zerodha's journey to be partners in this. And that's how FOSS United Foundation happened. And that helped us bring structure to whatever we were were trying to do ad hoc as at Zerodha as a FOSS program. So we could now support the foundation to do whatever activities we've always wanted to do in a much more structured manner by also involving the community. So we run a bunch of initiatives at the foundation and we've been striving to bring community into the fold to give decision-making powers to the community. So we have this financial grants program where we fund FOSS projects and FOSS related organizations. So we've been trying to set up a committee from the community where they call the shots, where the community runs the financial grants program under the foundation. So building everything community first, first principles is really key. That's really the gist of how it all started and how our FOSS program has culminated in us supporting FOSS Unite, the foundation. Yeah. That's awesome. So I saw that there's a FOSS, a FOSS pledge. Is Who's it for? Is it only companies from India or is it just anyone who wants to sign the pledge? Anyone really. It's a simple generic pledge, but it was written with the Indian tech ecosystem in mind. So what's happened over the last decade is the tech ecosystem, the startup ecosystem in India has benefited massively from FOSS. We freely adopted FOSS from everywhere, not just us in the world. So we feel that the Indian tech ecosystem needs to do a lot more to give back to the FOSS ecosystem, be it the community, be it the projects they use. So this is really a nudge. The pledge is it's a simple four-line pledge. It's not binding. It's a soft pledge. It doesn't mandate anything. It just encourages. So it's really just a nudge for organizations to be cognizant of FOSS, to start acknowledging the value of FOSS, even if they are non-FOSS proprietary organizations. So it's really open to everyone, but its origin lies in the Indian context. 
Got it. That makes sense. And India is such a huge market. It's a billion plus people. Not everyone of those knows what or needs to know what FOSS is, but still the fact that you're on the forefront of this, I think is really, really interesting. Now, my second question is, what is your company's yearly budget to the FOSS Foundation? I'm assuming that the company you work for is very involved in the foundation, but I could be wrong. One of the things that we're doing, again, consciously at FOSS United, involving the community, is to make sure that it doesn't become an entity funded by just one organization. Let's say zero though. We're very conscious of that. And we don't want the foundation turning into a front, even if the intentions are entirely legitimate for one company. So we're trying to structure the program in such a way that funding for the foundation comes from as many organizations as possible in the ecosystem and that one entity doesn't end up overfunding it. So it's quite a tricky problem, but it's a part of organization building. But that's it. At Zeroda, we've set aside a million dollars a year minimum to fund FOSS. So one of the things that we're really hoping that would happen is that the ecosystem becomes big enough where it can consume this corpus so that we can increase the endowment. So right now we are struggling a little bit to find projects to fund here. I hear you on that. It's tough. It's also tough to figure out like how to work with other people and how to make sure that other companies can help contribute. I think the pledge is actually really short. So actually, I kind of want to just read it out. As an organization, we pledge to openly credit and talk about the FOSS that we use in our organization and acknowledge the value we derive from them whenever appropriate. Two, we encourage our developers and technical staff to create and contribute to FOSS and participate in FOSS communities and activities. Three, we try and provide financial and other support to the FOSS projects that are valuable to our organization. And four, we publish notes on our aforementioned FOSS-related activities at least annually. That's it. That's the entire pledge. And that's really, really good because I can see in that pledge Actions which are easy to get sign-off on from a large corporation, which would matter to open source projects that are looking to get sponsors. Because it shows you that you're not going to turn around and you know say, hey, we're going somewhere else. We're going to cut funding immediately. It shows you that you're community focused, like you said, first principles. And I think it's something that a lot more companies should sign off on. You already have somewhere around 15 to 20 people who have signed off, which is great, or companies. I just wanted to share that the pledge is awesome. Kailash, I have a deeper question around how you make sure that communities get responsibility and ownership of the projects. Like you said, you don't want to become the solo sponsor for anyone. That's not sustainable. That's not healthy. It leads to underinvestment down the road and to companies that are more aligned with, say, one vision of where their future could go. So you said it's a tricky problem. What documents or resources or workshops do you have in place to help out ensure that your interests at Zeroda don't erode away the native interests of any open source project? So there's intentions, there's trust, and there's culture setting, but it has to be when it's a foundation, these things have to be at the end of the day, once they're formed, enshrined legally also. So we are really, we are convinced of our intentions. And I think there's a community that's slowly building around our activities. We get really in-depth critique. We get called out. We amend our ways and everything that we try to do it in the open. For instance, we've been trying to engage with the government on tech policy aspects and we send letters. So the draft of the letter, even if we write it first, is it's a shared on the community. We see comments and some of the debates do get very visceral. But people who represent the foundation, we put in a lot of effort to patiently and in good faith debate and discuss and argue and make amends to, let's say, this said letter. So you keep doing this and we're seeing a small set of people from the community who are slowly stepping up to take responsibility, not just volunteer 
on a telegram group or on the forum but actually take up responsibility so it's an experiment and we're also doing some research on the legal side where we can create a legal structure where we have a system of votes and a committee not maybe not a committee like a council like a governing council with people elected from the community with some sort of a self balancing mechanism so that we the founders directors legal directors of the foundation can step down or be there just as the last set of financial legal sanity checks so the thesis of the organization the activities we plan to we want all of it to be fully community owned and run they change the course of the organization when i say they the community or the elected members of the community it's a big mini democracy experiment and rushab fosinated's co-founder he is really passionate and keen on this model so that's what we are attempting to it's really conversations it's a lot of huge amounts of patience and also the willingness to even amend the legal structures to bring the community in so that instills trust in the community and if you defy them and you stick to your position without justification the community can really fall apart overnight so it's that there's no formula it's an experiment tell me about papered ink quite an interesting project i met creators the tinkers randomly come recollect where maybe it was on a telegram group and i messaged them i checked out the project i have a unit with me so it's a it's an e ink mini tablet sort of a system like a programmable display it has an open source board the software is open source it's in enclosure is 3d printed so the entire thing is open source it's a piece of open hardware it looks like a little desk clock rectangular desk clock with a e ink display you can program it to do whatever show you stuff show a render a calendar show images and the news so i came across this project by two indie devs who were thinking with it and it looked fascinating and i was really happy to see consumer grade open hardware tracker project from india so we got in touch with them and they're trying to look for funds to i think they were also on kickstarter but they were trying to raise funds to get the first batch out to their backers so it was just pure coincidence that we met them and force united as i mentioned earlier we have this force grants program these are no strings attached financial grants that we give to projects and we ask for nothing in return apart from the fact that they try and finish what they set out to do so we gave them a financial grant from the force united foundation and they were able to ship and i think there's a version 2 that's come out now so really cool project that's awesome it, yeah cuz i read that they were near shutting the project down they only reached like 40% of their crowdfunding and you came in and really saved the project if i'm wrong please correct me but that's just what i was told that's about right yeah yeah so i guess my follow up question is in I, you know what i really think that's awesome because it's very easy to support software because it's a digital infrastructure for the most part but with this hardware i think it's a new step in terms of open source funding is every part of the product open source or is there some type of proprietary in there either way i'm not judging i'm just curious if i recall correctly and i may be wrong here the product has evolved it's at viso now the entire thing is open source the cad models for the 3d enclosure the board the software it's all open source now with those dependencies are they distributing funds for the down dependencies or the debt dependencies or is it just mostly focused on the project because it's hardware and it's really hard to stay alive 
I think the focus is really on hardware and manufacturing and it's very difficult to source boards and electronics around here. So I think most of the focus is really on that, on hardware and procurement. I mean, the funds, the focus for the funds. Got it. I'm going to make a left turn now. And have you ever talked to Dwayne O'Brien in the FOSS Contributor Fund or is it just you just kind of wanted to go your own direction? I haven't. And we want to figure out a small little model that works before we start collaborating with others. So even here in the industry, as I said, we want a broad coalition, the tech ecosystem here funding FOSS projects that they use. We want to get that right. We want to try and crack that funding model where industry willingly comes and funds a FOSS project. So this pledge is a tiny step towards that. And we want to figure it out ourselves first before we we want to be convinced that it works before we go out and collaborate. Which makes sense. I mean, it's a completely different culture. FOSS Contributor Fund is very Western-focused. And I think that it's really cool to see this initiative in your country. And I think down the line, it'd be great to kind of come together and see how we can make this more universal, regardless of the location on the map. Yep. That is the ultimate goal. It's not just force in India. We have that focus because we want a thriving ecosystem here. But Absolutely. It's force everywhere for everyone. I'm actually going to push back. I'm not sure it is that different in culture. We're talking about tech and hackers together, and we're talking about how to fund them and projects which need more funding. These problems are universal. So one of the questions that's been coming up for me, which I think can draw attention to this, is you mentioned that it's hard to find people to fund at the moment. Can you talk a bit about your intake process? How do you get new contributors or maintainers to say, I need help? What does that look like? This has changed a little bit over the last year as Force United has gained some visibility. But in the beginning, the first couple of years, I was personally scouting for projects. That's how I found Paper.Inc. And I was looking for projects. I was looking for passionate developers that I could spot. And I was personally messaging them, telling them about the OS grants program. I'm hoping that they didn't think it was some sort of a scam. Somebody messaging them and asking whether they want money, whether (laughs) they want to be funded. But that's changed quite a bit over the last year or two. We've been getting inbound applications from organizations and projects, not really at the levels at that we would like, but it's a big positive change. I no longer have to scout. People really are coming to the foundation. That's awesome. You obviously have two very big slash important jobs. Do you have community managers to help out at the foundation that try to deal with these intakes? Or do you have someone who's out there looking for things and dealing with, say, social media? Or is that still pretty much just you and other board members? No, the foundation is growing slowly and has full-time folks handling this. So we have Vishal who joined us as an intern, but he's been handling single-handedly handling all the community events. So we did one big flagship FOSS conference in Bangalore a few months ago. Awesome. Yeah, we had like 700 attendees and we have this very pragmatic approach to events. It wasn't really an event for developers. It was an event for anyone and everyone who was interested in FOSS. So we had policymakers, designers, developers, students, people from the industry. And it was great. It seemed more like a festival. So what happened after that was a lot of people really got inspired by this and they've all been wanting to run mini FOSS conferences in their own cities. And I think three have already happened. And there are like six cities that have lined up, volunteers from six different cities across India who've lined up to run mini conferences. 
And that's really exciting. It's just slowly taking off. And I've been to a couple of these chapters myself. And this one particular event, which was organized in a college, there were 250 participants. It was full house. And because we have the foundation as a structure, we're able to give, help them with structure and branding and let's say a sponsorship to organize a local event. So yes, the team is slowly growing. Ria has joined recently. She's also, she's trying to run the mon.school open source education platform, which is another experiment. So we have around, yeah, so we have four people at the foundation who focus on each of these things, very passionate folks. And then we, Rushab and I, we get involved as much as we can while handling other responsibilities. That is so cool. That is awesome. What was the name of this conference that just happened a few months ago? India FOSS. India FOSS. And that's the name for all the local chapters as well? So it turned out to be quite interesting. The conference that happened in Kochi, they named it Kochi Foss, then Delhi Foss, then there's an upcoming Mumbai Foss. So it has a nice ring to it. And this evolved organically. People in Kochi really wanted to call it Kochi Foss to identify with the city. So another curious thing that happened was we built this website, like a simple conference portal to run India Foss, to publish the schedule, to get registrations. And we had a small little fee that we charged. And it turns out all of the cities also really want that. Anytime you run a conference, you want that mini conference portal. So we tweaked that and we turned that into an open source conference management and hosting platform. So all these mini conferences that are happening now happening on this portal and people can manage and organize their own conferences, including being able to sell tickets. So that was a nice spin-off that happened. That is awesome. I love it. If I was working at a large corporation in the States and I wanted to help get my name in front of, say, 250 people at a university in India who are really interested in FOSS, how would I get in touch with the organizers to see whether sponsorship was a possibility? You just email them, I guess. Cool. All right. No, that's great. It's just, it sounds, I just love seeing organic growth like that. It actually reminds me a lot of stuff that I've seen happening in Nigeria, where they organize a conference and there's like a thousand people that come, then other people go forth and run their own conferences in their own cities. And it's just great to see organic growth like that. I feel like in Boston, I really struggle to get papers we love up and running as a small group for reading scientific papers because Boston's just so saturated with all these sorts of events that it's very difficult to like start something new and get people excited where i feel like for some reason in places like india and places like nigeria which are totally different places i'm not saying they're the same i'm just noticing this phenomenon where you have packed conferences right now and people are really eager to get out there and foss it up whatever that means and so i'm just really excited that's just the coolest thing thank you yeah i think we just take it for granted to be honest because we just have a plethora of different conferences for different verticals in the open source communities so it's interesting that you mentioned that it's difficult to organize something new in boss and like justin mentioned that's probably because you have a lot of things happening so what we've realized after india force is that there's a big desire, there's a big need. There's really a big gap in the FOSS community here. We have a really large developer community in India and there are tons and tons of tech conferences that happen, the React conference or Vue.js conference or Golang meetups. Stuff keeps happening in Bangalore especially. But I don't know if there's a FOSS conference that really happened. So when this happened, excitement really excited and surprised us. We had to close tickets. We had to close 
registrations because there was so much interest. So what that's really showing is that despite having a really large, big tech ecosystem, millions of developers, there's still, there's this gap. There's this gap, there's this need for force focused events that for events that really activities that focus on the force philosophy rather than projects. And we need both, but that's what, that's my understanding. That's what we realized after organizing India force. One of the things I'm curious about is what were the tracks like in these conferences? Were they talking about funding? They're talking about how to organize They're talking about how to do community management about burnout. Like what, what were people mainly interested in hearing about at force focused events in India? We had a very eclectic selection and that was by design. We had talks on design. We had talks on, we had project specific talks. We had talks about funding. We had talks about policy. In fact, we had government bureaucrats who would come to talk about FOSS events inside the government. But you folks, especially the very young attendees, they were all super, super interested in project specific talks and gates and observability stuff, all the cool hacks. But what we noticed, again, unsurprisingly, really was that the slightly more mature folks, the slightly more older folks, experienced folks, attendees, they were very, very keen in the meta kind of talks than project specific talks. And unsurprisingly, really, but for the next edition also, we'll make sure that we have an eclectic selection, all stuff that are peripheral, but important to force, not just projects and code. Yeah. For those who want to see a, they have a pl- public ledger of different like hackathon grants on fossunited.org. I think that's really cool. I never, I don't really see that a lot with other folks that give out grants. So I think that's a really cool move. Do you get a lot of requests? I can just imagine, you know, I used to do in-kind sticker sponsorships and the amount of inbound was a little overwhelming. I'm sure giving away 50,000, 10,000 rupees would be pretty enticing for people to email. In fact, we have been getting a lot of interest and these are all from different colleges across India. And you can imagine the number of colleges we have across India. Oh yeah. We think it's really cool. The fact that there are colleges now organizing for specific events, events organizing for specific tracks and applying for this little grant. That's quite amazing. So the smallest grant is 10,000 rupees, which would roughly translate to, let's say, 125 US dollars. It's a tiny little thing and it's a tiny college event. And on the higher side, we have, let's say, 50,000 rupees, which is closer to 600, 700 dollars for a larger event. But, you know, we've streamlined this process. We don't get emails that would be very difficult. So there's a form, there's an approval, there's a rejection. We kind of built that pipeline to quickly disperse funds and all of that. But we're getting a lot of interest maybe four or five hackathon funding requests a week now. And we're really happy about that. The really just want this chatter about FOSS going again in, in the college circles. Used to be really big in the early 2000s. FOSS as a moment was really strong. There was FOSS stuff happening. There was the Wikipedia moment going and there was the open street maps thing happening. There was really strong communities. But when the industry inevitably came, lots of big quote unquote unicorn startups, tech startups, they kind of subsumed these really the hacker communities and FOSS really became tech and company and funding and industry. So we're just really happy to see the pure FOSS chapter going again. And this tiny little grant just encourages that grant program. Yeah. 
Kalash, I totally hear you on, it's great to see hackers come back. It's great to see Phosphor itself be a thing. I mean, as a Phosphor person yourself, you know, you started out just tinkering around and we all got to where we are through falling in love with open source first. And you don't fall in love with the meta stuff first. You fall in love with like, here's a cool project. Let's make it go. Let me interject there. I don't think it's bringing hackers back. It's growing the hackers to different parts of the world. That's what I think is happening here because in the United States, I, all I can speak is for is the United States. I'm sure there's other places, but as I said before, there you could throw a rock and hit conference or a hackathon. They're just everywhere. Whereas in Nigeria and parts of India, they're hungry. They want, they need stimulation. They need these events. So I think that what FOSS United is doing and, and a handful of other organizations is just bringing what is already United States already has and making it maybe even better. I have a weird follow-up for that. Kailash, you have a website, which is pretty awesome. It's nod.in. That's N-A-D-H dot I-N. And the fourth paragraph on it is, identify strongly as an absurdist, a worldview that drives everything I do. I have a bleak view of the future thanks to human-made climate change, humanity's callous penchant for environmental and ecological destruction, and its irrational hatred for fellow beings. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, and I frankly agree with you. So my question, Kailash, is in the face of climate change inevitably going to change a lot of the world, going to hit places like Bangalore more than places like Chicago, I want to know, what do you think about people getting interested in open source? Do you still see it as a force for change in the world? Do you see it as a useful direction for humanity? Or do you just think, I just like it, it's kind of cool, I want more people to do cool things that I also like? No, I think it's a hugely valuable tool, concept, philosophy. And so this is something that's really close to my heart. And it's something that I really think about constantly, 24-7. And I think, so this is thing... You're not alone, by the way, that I also have in the same way. So that's why I asked this question. I want to know how you think about it. Yeah, so there's this thing called the social development sector. We bundle an entire universe of good work that's happening into this small term, the social development sector. There are countless NGOs and organizations and people's moments across the world trying to do stuff that is absolutely essential and necessary in the society. So tech is really not a solution to human problems anywhere. And people who typically think that it is, they end up doing entirely wrong things. That said, tech is an accelerator. And for a lot of social development work, and I use that phrase carefully, social development work, just an umbrella, just as an umbrella term, be it climate change or nutrition, education, sanitation, whatever. When tech is used as a means with caution, it can really accelerate a lot of the efforts that's happening around the world. So we have been at Zeroda and personal level, we've been working with numerous organizations, NGOs, nonprofits in India trying to help them in many different ways. So we have this other foundation called the Rain Matter Foundation, and it focuses on climate change and environment and livelihoods associated with it. And that's a pretty serious effort. And we've committed huge amounts of resources to it. So what we see is that a lot of organizations in the social development sector, just a little bit of technology, it could just be a WordPress installation. It could just be some simple ticketing tool. It could just be a simple form for collecting data on the field. They don't, entire sector seems to lack the technical capacity to build those little tools that will help them solve the problems that they set out to solve. And what I've seen, this is anecdotal, but I must have spoken to, let's say, 200 NGOs or more in the last two, three years. 
is that a lot of hard-earned funding, and NGOs are constantly fund crunch, fund crunch, a lot of hard-earned funding is lost to proprietary technology and really, you know, redundant stuff that is built over and over. Everybody's trying to build their own field data collection system. Everybody's trying to build their own mini ERP or a ticketing system or project management system. And all the tech talent is in the industry, right? Why would tech talent go and work in the social development sector where there's literally no money, where organizations are always fund crunched and stuff. So a simple common sense realization, really, I was mind blown by this, was that you don't really need to build a lot of tech. All the stuff that we really need, all the means, most of it exists out there. If the social development sector really had an understanding of this, if they knew, I'm generalizing here, pardon me, if they knew how to frame these questions into requirements where they could look for technology solutions that they could pick and use, I think it would be a humongous change globally. No NGO working on education or water or soil should be spending any money on building an HR or payroll system or some random ERP system. It all exists out there. So FOSS really plays such a huge role there. Do not reinvent the wheel over and over. And in a sector which deals with the most critical of societal problems, startups can come compete on pricing, blow money on social media ads, whatever. That entire thing is different. The incentives that are different, the goals that are different, but resources are of paramount criticality and importance in the social development sector. And FOSS really seems to be an answer, I have that much conviction at this point, seems to be the answer to the massive systemic risk that is the lack of technical capacity in the most dire of needs. And at FOSS United Foundation, again, we've been running this initiative called FOSS for NGOs, where we've been speaking to NGOs and helping them out with little bits and pieces, just consulting, just telling them, just guiding them, you know, don't go money on this, just pick that little tool and use it. And we've in fact gotten volunteers together and built out actual FOSS projects for them. And when we do that, we build it in such a way that many other organizations doing similar kind of work can just, you know, use it. I can cite one example. There's this system that's called Samaja. It means society in many different Indian languages that we are building with Rebenefit, which is young civic mobilization NGO. So we're building it in such a way that they can use it, but any other organization in the space that in the civic engagement, civic services space can also use it. So you can think of it like a WordPress for civic services. So we're hoping that if 50, several dozen organizations end up using it, it's a massive change, huge impact that FOSS brings to an entirely different sector, which is social development. So I'm sorry, that was a much longer answer. No, that's a great answer. Don't apologize. That's exactly what I'm really interested in. And what speaks to me about it is we're building tools that will help solve the problem. And we're building tools that will help other people also figure out how to solve the problem. It's an accelerator. It's a multiplier. I love that. Kailash, do you have any resources that people could reach out to if they are in the NGO sector, if they are in the social sector, where they can learn what FOSS tools are best for them? So we're trying to build that. We on, on the FOSS United Forum, we have a bunch of threads running. Right now, it's again all very personal, ad hoc. We speak to organizations. Like I said, I've spoken to like one of the organizations. And it's all, we're trying to build a community structure around this. So two weeks ago, we created a thing called FOSS for NGOs and solicited volunteers from the FOSS United Tech community. And some 60 people signed up saying they're willing to write software pro bono for social development orgs. Now we're trying to bring some project management capacity there so that it kicks off. There's another initiative that we are experimenting with. So we 
funded setting up of a physical tech community space, like a hacker space. And anyone can walk in, learn, people can mentor. It's force focused. There'll be workshops, there'll be events, like a physical space for folks. So what we saw is that multiple NGOs who were really looking for tech and tech capacity, and they don't really even know where to start. I need tech. Where do I go? So this space slowly has started attracting NGOs who are showing up there, who are setting up base there because that's a place where technologists come and go. So that's another experiment that's running, like a physical space that brings together technologists, FOSS folks, and the social development sector. So we're trying to bring structure to a lot of these experiments. I love it. That is awesome. Kailash, I really wish you the best of luck in that. And I hope that you actually reach out to collaborate with other people earlier. I know you said you wanted to make sure you got things right before you collaborated, but sometimes I find in FOSS, everyone's trying to get the same goals. Everyone is really working on the same thing, which is contributing to the commons. And people are happy to work through stuff with you. So I hope you reach out slightly before you're ready to reach out, if that makes any sense. For those of our listeners who are interested in following up and who are curious about the works that are going on, I know we've mentioned indiafoss.net. We've mentioned fossunited.org. Obviously, you can Google Zeroda. That's Z-E-R-O-D-H-A. And you have your own website at nadh.in. Is there anywhere else where people can follow up and places they should go? That's about it. I don't use social media. Yeah. That's a smart move. This is a smart man, everyone. Jelly. We're talking to a genius. All right. Yes. Uh, this was an excellent conversation. Thank you so much. This is super cool. I really hope that you continue to contribute to FOSS. It seems like you're doing a great job. I have nothing but respect for all the stuff you talked about today. Also, for the things you didn't talk about, as someone with a computational linguistics degree, too, I wish sometimes I just had a linguistics podcast, but that's okay. Now it's the time of the show where we turn to Spotlight, where we talk about other people, other things, other projects which have helped us out in our career. Just that tiny bit of a show that just focuses outward in a different way. Justin, what is your Spotlight today? So I had this proprietary tool that is awesome, but I want to switch it up because Kalash loves Go, correct? Mm, I like Go, yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a project I've been involved with, my coworker Camden. It's been blowing up called Conk. C-O-N-C, and it's a better way to structure concurrency in Go. You can get it at github.com slash sourcegraph slash C-O-N-C and check it out. Let us know what you think. I, in fact, saw the project a couple of weeks ago. I think it was on Hacker News. It was on Hacker News yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember. I haven't had a chance to play with it, but I did look at it. I will see yeah. We're going to connect after this. I, I like you. You hit on the right things. So yeah, we're going to become friends. <laughs> Thank you. My spotlight today is NBC Exploder. That is his name on Twitter. Probably Mastodon and other things as well. If you're on eBird, he's on eBird. After long hassle, I have made him a birder. Ben Acker is one of my great friends, and I just wanted to give a shout out to him. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met in the Node ecosystem. Currently works at Joyant. And it's just very cool because I'm in his house. And I just want to say thank you for continuing to be an awesome person in the community and welcoming community members to your couch. Ben, you are the best. Kailash, what is yours? So there are a couple of things that go way back. I don't think they are really relevant or they even exist anymore, but they were integral parts of the early web when I really started out 20, 22 years ago in the early 2000s. There was this thing called Matt's form mail. It was a Perl script. You dump that in your CGI bin. CGI bin. <laughs> I love CGI bin. CGI bin it. has come kind of been, they've made a comeback and they're now known as cloud functions or whatever. But <laughs> so 
there was mathsformmail.pl and pretty much every website that was online that had a form to send an email, like a contact form, used it. And I also picked it up and used it. It was very natural. I discovered it, but I dissected it. It was this one script, ginormous uh, script, really. And it had tons and tons of logic. And much later, I realized tons and tons of security holes also. Yeah. But it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter because that's how that that one script, that one little FOSS program, Matt's form mail, kind of kickstarted a whole trajectory for me. I dissected it. I learned Perl. I started writing web apps and I wrote a lot of web apps and that was key. So this other thing was a website called planetsourcecode.com. It wasn't exactly FOSS-centric. I don't think it intended to be FOSS-centric or maybe I didn't understand I was too young. It was really a a source code repository plus showcase. You would upload your project, PHP or Perl or Visual Basic. And I uploaded a bunch of Visual Basic projects by downloading and learning Visual Basic projects from there. I didn't really understand the concept of FOSS licenses back then. And many of these projects didn't even come with a license. This was the year, let's say 2000 or 2001. Yeah, that's before 2008, which is when the license or when the open source definition was released. So you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had GPL and we had right. those. But Matt's form mail was GPL, I remember. But Planet Source Code, it was massive. I mean, I think today we have GitHub, which is very social. Planet Source Code was extremely social. You had weekly contests. And in fact, I won one of those weekly contests for the best project uploaded that week, source code, Visual Basic 6. And I got a massive book couriered to me from somewhere in the US, India. And that felt surreal, something physical coming from the internet into my home in the year 2001 or two. That was weird. But that website really helped me because I downloaded tons of projects. I changed them, dissected them, tweaked them, modified them, built my own, uploaded, shared, got comments. And that kind of really built my foundation for FOSS. And that's how I became a FOSS hobbyist. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing those. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been awesome to have you. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, if you have any, have any thoughts on it, you can feel free to throw them at us. You can do that at Twitter at SustainOSS. You can go to SustainOSS.org and go to our Discourse forum there, Discourse at SustainOSS.org, where we'll have a thread for this episode. You can also email us at podcast at SustainOSS.org. That goes to all of the hosts. We'd be happy to take any thoughts, comments, hatreds, invectives, whatever you want to throw our way. If you like this podcast, feel free to like it on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, wherever podcasts are sold and made. We'll get a Mastodon at some point where you're free to interact with us there. If you have other guests that you feel like that you've been in the podcast, do hit us our way. And if you have thoughts for Kailash, of course, go forth. You have the links there in the show notes at podcast. That's the same OSS.org. And you can find him apparently everywhere where FOSS is being made in India. Kailash, that was the best. Thank you so much once more and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. That was fun. Thank you. Likewise.